what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Then love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your one. Skip to the end. Have you the wind? Here comes my Wesley now. Oh, yeah, well, I, any excuse I have to play that clip, I do it. But uh, I think that's a lot of us would like to say that sometimes. When it comes to speaking on marriage and then having a snow day, a lot of people say skip to the end, especially when I get to speaking to you men. But I didn't skip to the end. We're circling back to it, even though we missed that day of church. And so when we talk about marriage, we've been talking about the interior design. Uh, how is it God created us on the inside and do we recognize that, and how does it bless us in our marriage? Um, and, and we ask these questions of, of marriage, we've uh, began to look at and see in our uh, just the questions of a marriage is, is it actually something that's good and useful? Is it something that is helpful? Is it true what God has to say about marriage, about men, and about women? These are questions that uh, have been asked. And, and moral, and is it right the way that God teaches? to live uh, together as man and wife? Uh, do we embrace what he teaches? And so as we dig into this, I know a couple weeks ago we talked about this interior design began and marriage was established at the beginning of the world uh, when uh, male and female were created to be made in the image of God and to worship him and marriage was designed and put into place before sin even entered the world, before brokenness entered the world. As we know, brokenness did enter the world, and so our goal is to get back and understand the gospel and get back and understand and pursue, pursue God's divine design for our homes. And uh, in, in this, we see he made male and female differently, but we are created equally in his image for our good and for God's glory. And his design is for us to flourish in this world, and that's best lived out when we submit to honor and honor one another according to our roles. That's what Peter's been talking about uh, in his letter. is submitting and honoring one another and honoring the various roles God has set up in human institutions he has created in this world. And so we describe this, these roles, are, in the Christian world anyway, uh, there are different views of how these roles play out. And uh, one would be called egalitarian, on the extreme side of that, that just flattens out everything, um, saying uh, most of Paul's teaching is um, cultural and contextual, um, and it doesn't apply all the way to today. And then there would be one that's called complementary. Now, the complementary view has been skewed, and I'll point out some abuses of it throughout the years, but the idea of complementary is the idea that things go together. And uh, trying to figure out style myself, uh, you know, I think anything goes for men these days. I looked up, you know, new trends in men's fashion, and apparently they say that some of those patterns go together. I was told that stripes and plaids aren't supposed to work together. But complementary, we think sometimes uh, we can get a little bit confused on what that looks like or what the definition is. And yet, a complement is spelled with an E, not complement. 
but as something that completes or makes perfect, either of two parts or things needed to complete the whole. Counterparts. To make complete. Uh, if you remember, when God looked at Adam, he said, It is not good that you are alone. And so he pulled from his side a rib and created Eve. Male and female, he created them. And the word there in Genesis is this term called Ezer Kinegeto. And it describes, and that word is not just counterpart, but it's an essential, strong counterpart for the man. Essential, strong counterpart for the man. And so complementarianism ultimately is the teaching that masculinity and femininity are equal in every way. And yet God has designed us differently and that's a good thing. And as we'll see, that different design and different roles often reflects God himself. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each have taken on different roles in our salvation and in our walk the Lord and in our life and we'll see that ultimately God is the one who we should look to to give each gender our meaning and to give us direction for life in the home in the church in our world and to discover and reflect the beauty found in the very relationship of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit do we want to reflect the unity that they have amongst themselves as Jesus prayed and so we don't want to devalue or eliminate gender or husband and wife. We want to say, what is God's plan? And how can we come alongside it? And so uh, one quote that I found on this is this. It says, complementarians believe that God created male and female as complementary expressions of the image of God. Male and female are counterparts in reflecting God's glory. Having two sexes expands the view of God. Though both sexes bear fully the image of God on their own, each does so in a unique and distinct way. Male and female in relationship then reflects truths about Jesus that aren't reflected by male alone or female alone. Together we reflect more truths about Jesus. And so if you open your Bible and you have in First uh, Peter chapter 3, and I'll read the whole section just to give us a little review since it's been a bit. Um, and if you do want to hear the, the message on the first six verses, uh, it's, def it's online. So uh, It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold or jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so, as we leaned into the verses, we've talked about this, that we're a church that likes to lean into the difficult passages. We don't skip over them, and we 
love to be unoffended. And unoffended means we can talk about things, have different viewpoints, and sharpen one another in Scripture. So we encourage conversation and study around any of these things. Don't ever take something I say just because I'm up here with the lapel mic. Look in your Bible. Study it. Look at the context. Pray about it. Dig into it. See what God would have for you. And have conversations about it. And then we are all sharpened and we keep everybody, including myself, accountable. Now we have tried to dispel some myths to show uh, how biblical submission is not the same as the world's submission. It's not weakness and being pinned down like in wrestling. I submit. Or like in MMA fighting, you quit. Submission is a voluntary act of courage and strength. And our greatest example of that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we believe that uh, males were designed to shine the light on Christ's relationship to the church in a specific way. In the same way, uh, in, in a way that females cannot. And females were designed to shine the spotlight on the church's relationship to Jesus in a way that males cannot. And so who we are as male and females... This is not what we hear these days, but it's not about us or our choice. Ultimately, we were designed as male and female for God's glory and for his purposes. And so we need to discover how that is. How do we best reflect God? And how do we best show that? And so um, it's testifying about the story of Jesus, or it's about showing the gospel to the world when we embrace God's design over our own desires. And so how do we show the gospel to the world? Well, right here we have a wife uniquely testifies to the story of Jesus through imitating his submission to God the Father by submitting to the husband. And submitting, once again, is voluntary, placing oneself under the leadership of another for the glory of God. And that's what Jesus did, going to the cross, saying, not my will, but your will be done. He said, if there are any other way to do this, I would do it, but I want to submit to you. And he would tell them as he taught in the synagogues, the son does not do anything that the father hasn't shown him. He followed the father each step of the way, submitting to God's will and placing him under God's authority. And so this is a beautiful picture we see. So how do these patterns uh, fit together? How do we begin to see the complementary view. How, how do husband and wife fit together in a way that's, that's beautiful? What is the husband's role? What does leading the home actually look like? What is it and what it is not? So, verse 7. You may think that you only get one verse, guys, but actually there's so much in here. Uh, there's quite a bit said. And so he begins once again with likewise. Likewise is a key word because it ties us in once to the whole picture he's talking about in 1 Peter, to everything he's saying about submission, about being unoffendable, about following God's plan and God's design for the world and saying, okay, God, you know better, even though it doesn't seem to fit sometimes. And then it says here, that it says, likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. What must we know or understand in order to live with our wives? Some of you have been married a long time and you're still asking that question. And that's okay. But the goal here, the, that statement is, 
Are you learning and trying to understand how best to serve your spouse? In the church, I think we can also learn to understand how best to serve one another as male and female and celebrate one another as male and female. And so within this, as we look at this, I would say that we need to come to an understanding. What does it look like to lead her and to celebrate her personality? It doesn't say, husbands, if you are a leader, you get to control and dominate. And we're going to dig a little bit into that here in a moment. And that's one of the great failures in human history is the failure of men to take this position we're in and just abuse it. In every culture throughout history, it's been abused by men, this position that we've been given. And so, as we do this, I think a good place for us to go and to tie into is Paul's description and um, passage of marriage in uh, Ephesians 5. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But what does that really mean? Well, he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so, a husband uniquely testifies to the story of Jesus, to the gospel, through imitating sacrificial love by understanding and honoring his wife sacrificial love. Christ is also the husband's example. And what did he do? He died on the cross for his bride. He lived that life traveling and sacrificing. He didn't have a home. He went and he put the needs of others others before his own, time after time after time. And so, if we're to understand leadership, the term we would have to use would be servant leadership, wouldn't it? And so, we're to honor our wives. And to honor, we've looked at in the book of Peter, it says, um, to honor is this idea of esteem, high respect. It's the value you give to someone in the way that you treat them, showing them that they are worthy. And In Peter 2.17, he said, honor everyone according to their role. So we need to look at our wives and look at women in the church and say they are worthy and valuable partners and counterparts with great strength. And without them, the gospel cannot be fully seen. And then you say, but there's this phrase in here that is, if it were to be taken as a soundbite, It'd be pretty offensive, I think, if we don't dig into it. He says, in an understanding way, show honor to the woman at the weaker vessel. Ah, let's move to the next verse, right? <laughs> what does that mean, as the weaker vessel? Well, first off, I'd say let's not make it mean more than it does mean. 
And uh, let's look at the word vessel first. The word vessel is used throughout uh, the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, uh, to describe our body. Our spirit is in this vessel of the human body. And because of sin, the human body is in decay. We are young, we get older, we have a peak of our strength, and then the body eventually weakens, right? And fades, and we all die. Our bodies are weak. They're susceptible to viruses and disease. And so this statement, it says weaker. So the key part there is er. Both of us are weak. Both of our vessels are weak. And it says the wife's is weaker. Well, not getting too deep into science, but there's an XX and an XY chromosome that differentiate male and female. And throughout history, especially if you're to take it in this context, in an agrarian society, it would have been fairly easy to accept and to see the strength because of the more testosterone and the way the men's body is built. Uh, We're not built to have children. And that doesn't make a woman weaker. It makes her different in strength and bone density and muscles. And so men would be the ones that did heavy lifting often and carried things. And we know there are women who are stronger than me and, and better at different sports and athletics. But in general, we understand how our bodies are made as male and female with the different um, things that are produced in our body. And so it would be pretty simple to just say it's a simple fact that in general, men have more physical strength than women. And that's just what this is referring to. And I think it's pretty easy to bear that up with science, no matter how much we try to change that. It's been a general fact. And it's been one of the greatest sources of our sin as men, is taking that, and rather than protecting and honoring women, men have used it to abuse, to take hold of power, and not to serve as Christ served, and not to sacrifice as Christ sacrificed. And so when we look at this, In the midst of this culture that is so confused about male and female, we want to celebrate what God has done. And we want to be intellectually and scientifically honest and say, yeah, there is a difference. And that difference is a good thing. I'm thankful I had a mom and a dad. Not everybody has that, but we're thankful that you have male and female. And the differences of femininity and masculinity are a blessing to us all. And so... As we look at this, I think God knew that when given to sin, apart from his design, that men would use the worst of this and that women would use the worst of what they've been given. And we would use it in ways that are not honoring to one another. And we would struggle in marriage and in relationships. But just as we sought to define submission biblically, we need to look and define leadership biblically. And that is servant leadership. First, giving ourselves to them and to their strength. And using our strength to serve others, putting others first. And after Easter, we'll look at that in the church. And, and what's the role of an elder in being a servant leader? Others needs first. I believe that all men and young men can treat their sisters in Christ with acts of servant leadership in our church, in our home, in our school. And husband, when your acts go unappreciated and unnoticed, you're still called to serve. You're still called to put the women in your life, your wife first, your daughters first. 
And it can be tempting to just grab the throne and assert authority and say, my way or the highway. But Peter reminds us with a powerful statement here. He says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Pretty key statement. He's saying, you are equal in your need for a Savior. You're equal in all that God has planned for us for eternity. All the things he's laid out in this letter, that that incorruptible, undefiled, unfading inheritance, that's for all of us. We're not more deserving or less deserving. We're equally deserving. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And all women are a daughter of the king, and they should be treated as such. I know that Abby loves to be treated as a princess. (laughs) And yet... In Christ's kingdom, we're all heirs to the same. Prince and princesses in this kingdom that is unbelievable because of the one who died for us, who submitted himself to God the Father. Going to the cross is an example for both of us to look to. So to be a man of honor and understanding is to give value and worth to the wife uh, using your strength to serve, protect, and lovingly pursue her. And it's the picture we have that God has given us. And it's a hard standard to live to. We need one another. And when we fail to leadership, Peter says something else happens. When we fail to be understanding with our wives and, and to submit to God's plan, he says our prayers are hindered. It's right there. He says, your prayers are hindered. I don't know anybody who wants their prayers to be hindered. If you look down just a few verses, he said, For the eyes of the Lord, in verse 12, are on the righteous, those who seek and follow after the Lord, and his ears are open to their prayer. And so there are a few ways, I believe, that a a sin begins to impact our prayers. Uh, Sin obstructs our relationship with God. And uh, it hinders him from hearing our prayers. It causes us, really, our prayers not to be in line with his will because we become selfish. Um, a lack of unity disrupts our prayers. In Matthew 18 19, 18, 19, there's a promise where two or three gather in my name, there I am with you. It's saying when there's conflict, when there's struggle, and if you come together in agreement, God will be with your prayers if you're seeking unity. And when you're in a broken relationship or struggling in, with your spouse, it's harder to pray, isn't it? Last week we talked about praying for your enemies or those who persecute you, and sometimes it's hard to pray for your spouse because things aren't meshing well. It's hard to pray for those who, who maybe you don't see eye to eye with. But I've talked a lot about theory, but what does this actually look like in a home? What does it actually look like to live in this way? How does it work itself out practically? Um, well, if you've ever uh, gone through marital counseling with me or premarital counseling, this is a, a picture that I like to use. And, and we begin with this. Men and women, we are to seek God first, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First priority in your life is to get a spouse. It's to get right with God. That's the number one relationship in our lives that we must figure out. 
is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life? Do I believe he died on the cross and rose again? Have I repented? Do I follow him? That's where our hearts need to be. He's number one. <laughs> He's the head of everything. And within the body of Christ, we're to have men and women coming together who are serving the Lord. That's the body of Christ. We come together. Jesus is the reason we are here. When you come together in marriage, Jesus needs to remain at the top. Your husband or wife cannot replace him. They cannot bring you your identity. They cannot bring you full satisfaction. They will disappoint you, hurt your feelings, and, and you won't always get along. But Jesus Christ will never do that to us. He is perfect. He is there for us to honor. And if we both are persistent, that makes us stronger in relationship. And so, as the husband becomes a servant leader, and the wife seeks biblical submission, and they're doing that for one another... And pursuing Christ, I couldn't get other arrows, but what's amazing is you start out here, but as you're both pursuing Christ, triangle, so you get closer and closer and more intimate with one another. And you become more and more a reflection of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a picture of the church, too. The church with Christ is, as we come together, we get to know him more and more, and we'll be with him forever. And so that's a picture of Christian marriage that is different than the world has to offer. The world says all these other things will lead to intimacy and strength. But we say is you both pursue God and, and you're loving your spouse. I'm serving her. I'm serving her. I'm giving myself to her. And she's reciprocating and, and submitting and saying, Lord, I, Lord, I want to honor my husband. I want to talk well about him. I want to support him. I want to pray for him. When that starts flowing, that is when marriage is beautiful. And whenever you get out of that cycle, that's when you have to stop and reflect and pray and say, okay, where did we go wrong? Where do we need to get back into this working out? Loving leadership, man, listens, serves, and honors with our words, and it is slow to offense. Godly submission listens, serves, and honors your husband with our words and is slow to offense. They're described differently, and there is a point where you come to a practical point where you're going well, you're serving, and you're loving one another, and you just can't agree. It could be on finances or, or a decision that happens. Or it could be that you get in a rut and you're not going to church, and you're not getting in God's word. In the garden, when things went awry, God showed up and he said, Adam, what went on? And Adam passed the buck, my wife. <laughs> but he came to Adam. See, when it comes down to it, men, I believe leadership means you're to be an intentional initiator, to take that first step, uh, to take the initiative to follow God's commands in your own life and to lead your family into getting up on a daylight savings day. In getting here. Uh, to take the initiative to, to say you're sorry and that you were wrong. To ask for forgiveness. To take the initiative to, to say we need to pray together about this. To be first in honoring. To be first in seeking to understand your wife and learn about her. And for that matter your daughters if you have them. The real test of God's design is in decision making and duties sometimes in marriage isn't it? An understanding and honoring husband seeks out his wife's thoughts. A wife who submits is not silent. 
Remember, we said submission is not a personality test. Be yourself. God, however he shaped you to be as a woman, there's so many different personalities. It's not saying put your personality on the shelf. It's saying within your personalities, talk and work things out. It's not saying the husband has to do these five roles and mow the lawn and fix the car. And the wife has to do these five things and dishes and that. And that's what the world would try and make it into the 1950s roles. <laughs> no, it's saying figure this out together. And when you can't, husband, you need to step up and make a decision. And as I work with couples in this, I say, here's how it works. Sometimes, husband, you may listen to your wife. You may say, okay, we're going to go this direction and make this purchase. Um, I'm going to follow your idea, and, uh, and let's go with that. Or sometimes you may make your own, say, I just don't see it like you do, and I'm, I think we should go this direction. Here's where the test is. When the husband does that, wives, do you use that later as a weapon? Last time I let you make the decision, you failed. Husbands, do you use that as a weapon saying, you know what, every time I listen to you, we lose money. Or it doesn't go well. No, the idea is we, you make a decision, you stick to it together, and the reality of life is sometimes they'll work out, sometimes they won't. But in order to bear that and take that pressure off the relationship, husband, you need to make that decision humbly listening. And I tell you, honestly, when you're living and communicating well, it rarely comes down to this. <laughs> or I'm the leader, I have to make the decision. It's a rare thing. And there'll be times even in my own relationship with Rachel and I talk, she's like, we prayed, I just don't know what to do, Kevin. And we don't know what to do, so let's pray about it. And then wh whatever direction you think God's taking you, I'm with you. And that's nerve-wracking at times, but it's also powerful in reminding me I've got to rely on Christ. And it pushes me more towards Christ. And so complementarianism guides how we interact according to God's design. And I think it's a good, powerful framework for facing conflict and tough decisions. And it's something we all strive towards, but we don't meet perfectly. And it looks different for each and every couple. And as we're going to see, it plays out, every church looks different in how gifts are used and displayed and how we celebrate one another. The wife willingly says, I love Jesus and I love you and I will trust you to make a call because we can't figure it out right now. And the husband says, I love Jesus and I love you and I'm going to take responsibility and make a decision and we're going to honor one another with our words, even when the decisions don't work out. And when communication is suffering, God has given a pattern here for us. And when communication is suffering and the wife is struggling and Peter and Ephesians, God has given us a framework to help us out. So I'd encourage you in your marriages to begin to grow and to continue to grow and rely on one another and work it out. And one of the best things you can do are some steps here. Um, just practically, seek God and pray. <laughs> seek God. First step, seek God. Say, God, is this your design? Do I believe that? Do I want to walk in it? There's a lot of times when this is slammed as being old-fashioned, I'm like, well, then you really don't understand what the husband's being called to do, to sacrifice himself as Christ did for the church. 
And you really don't understand what submission is either because that's really an act of strength and courage and prayerful honoring of one another in a relationship. And seek to understand, both seeking to understand each other, understanding your backstory, understanding how your parents interacted, or your grandparents or step-parents, or whether there was a divorce and how that's impacted, understanding how the culture's impacting. It's learning, learning about one another, learning about how you're shaped and your different personalities. and It's a lifelong process. Seek mentors. Find someone who's just a step ahead of you. Uh, you know, uh, I'll admit it, before we entered these years with uh, teenagers, we found another couple who had gone through it, and we're like, they seem to be alive. And then neither of their hair is gray. Let's go and take them out to lunch and just learn from them. Say, hey, what, what have you learned? We're not looking to imitate. We just want advice. See how you work through these years. And... And we've done that at each step of the way. God's giving us, given us that. And then there are times that you may need to seek counsel. It, it may be good to have someone else speak into your marriage and just say, we're at this point. And I, and I know couples who are strong for 35 years and then children all left and they're like, we still love each other. We're not heading for the door, but we need help to figure out this new stage of life. And they go to uh, another believer, an elder, a Christian counselor, and they, they sit down and say, Lord... Help us figure this out. And they, they work out through that new season. And that's okay. That's not failure. That's just wisdom. It's just wisdom and getting wisdom from others whenever you hit that roadblock. And seeing within this, there's a special role, I believe, for the church, for the bride of Christ. Because when you're in a home and we're in a culture where the, the divorce rate is as high as it is, and we're in a school where that is the number one thing, broken homes impacting the children, I met with the principal again this week and just um, hearing stories of what went on that morning um, and just abuse that had gone in the home for a child. Uh, I had to wait because a police officer was coming in to deal with the situation. Um, it's a reminder that the church, the bride of Christ, is to step in and fill the void in homes where there may not be a husband or a wife or one may be a believer or an unbeliever and step in and and to begin to serve and love and care for those kids, even as they're being loved on right now. That's one of the beauties of the church and the community is coming together and complementing one another and stepping in the gaps, showing this, this society that we love one another and we care for those who've been impacted by brokenness and sin. And we don't throw stones or rocks or claim we're better than anyone else. We love you where you're at. And if that's you, know that there's healing and these things do break in this world. That's a fact of the broken world before Christ returns. But there's one marriage that will never be separated, and that's ours with Christ at that great banquet table in the end. When we come together as a bride of Christ, presented with... I mean, I think of, you know, if my life were to be a marriage dress, it couldn't be white. I'm not perfect. It couldn't be pure. But because of Jesus Christ, it is. That's how God sees us. That's our identity in Christ. And so I pray that we would walk in that and love one another through that. Let's close in prayer this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, marriage is an interesting thing quite often. 